This is an ABC podcast. So thank you. Oh, that's good. I'm really <laughs> happy. I mean, it's I know it sounds, it's such a funny topic, but I think people will be really thrilled to know that fossilized farts do exist. Welcome back to What the Duck, where we've got more gas than information. No, wait, other way around. More information than gas. We're revisiting a crowd favourite topic, farts. You might remember early in the year we covered some classic does it fart stuff. Snakes, sort of. Whales, sort of. Herring, well, chimpanzees, Tasmanian devils, yep. Welcome. I'm Dr Anne Jones, your guide through the gaseous emissions of the world for today. Let's get to it. Oh, sure. Um, yes. So I am Associate Professor Jeffrey Stilwell, an adjunct at Monash University. Jeffrey Stilwell isn't only an adjunct professor, he's also silly enough to reply to an email with the heading Fossilised Gas Query. Yes. So as we all know, and, and we actually think about <laughs> farts, I mean, it's a very funny topic. We, we all laugh about it. But you, know, you could be in a room and you know, maybe next to a dog and you hear you smell something really <laughs> off. And, you know, and you think, hmm, now how could we ever fossilize a fart? That would be impossible. Would it? Maybe, you know, we could get something trapped in ancient tree resin. Uh, which is like this. This is a piece of amber I'm holding in my hand here. Jeffrey is holding onto a tennis ball-sized lump of gorgeous honey-coloured stone, smooth to the touch. And that's me giggling, yes, because I am hoping that it means he is holding an ancient fart in his hand, ready to cupcake someone. Um, and so if we look in the fossil record, so what, what would we look for? We would actually look for the anal region of an organism and perhaps see a little bubble. You know, So if the organism died, we could see that maybe with the stress or as part of this process, you know, even when it died, there would be some gas expelled and we'd actually expect to see. Now, when I wrote to Jeffrey, I wasn't really sure if there would be fossilised farts, but it turns out there's a whole sub-discipline of paleontology. Uh, there's an endeavour called uh, looking at frozen behaviour in the fossil record, which is actually quite rare. So we can be talking about mating, we could be talking about, you know, some kind of a attack or something like that, or farting, you know, which would be under that category of frozen behaviour, which is extraordinarily rare in the fossil record. So we can look at ancient tree resin uh, and see if we can find it. And of course we have, we've actually seen that many times in the fossil record. Behold, the first known fart. We have uh, records of organisms showing gas in their anal regions that date from about 25 to 45 million. And we think we even have records dating back to about 100 million years. Now, you would think, oh, wow, that, that's really amazing. But if it's not all that surprising because we know that organisms such as termites, they exude methane. Um, so we could go back into the record and say, oh, Maybe we can find uh, an ancient termite that's, you know, 30 to 40 million years old and see if it has a little air bubble maybe uh, attached to its anus. Yeah, it's so. brilliant. And the little pictures of it sort of look like there's just a little balloon coming off the butt of an insect. Right. Like exactly. just a little pocket that's of right. some sort of gas of yes. an air of some description. Yes. So the that's types right. of creatures that I'm guessing if it's in amber, yes. fossilised tree yes. resin, that we're talking about pretty small creatures here. That's right. 
mostly all the organisms that we see trapped in amber um, without, I mean, there's some exceptions, but mostly they're very small arthropods and mostly insects. Mm-hmm. And also arachnids as well and others. And if you listened to the previous episode of What the Fart on Ducking Farts, you'll know that we're not really sure if spiders fart. I'll link to it in the show info. You know, it also tells us something important too, that a lot of these processes that are going on inside our bodies and other animals' bodies, it's been going back, you know, we're talking millions of years, up to 100 million years plus, and probably further back than that, you know, much further back. Thank you so much for being willing to speak to me about fossilized farts and also not just immediately deleting the email that I sent. It's um, <laughs> very <fine>. appreciated. <laughs> no, that's fine. I mean, we could have gotten into detail about what... Jeffrey got in touch recently, actually, because he now knows that I am indeed a fellow fart researcher with a late period Mesopotamian piece of poetry. Well, actually, not exactly a piece of poetry... It's an incantation against flatulence. Wind, oh wind. This is in the first millennium BC and would have probably been deciphered from a cuneiform tablet. Wind, oh wind. Wind, you are the fire of the gods. You are the wind between turd and urine. You have come out and taken your place amongst the gods, your brethren. Speaks to the absolute power of farts. And I mean, it really makes me think about Bette Midler's wind beneath my wings in a different way. And when you look through history, where there is man, there are farts. Apparently, in 569 BC, a fart indirectly killed 10,000 people when, in an act of revolt against the king, a general lifted his buttocks and thundered a resounding fart in the general direction of King Apries. For what it's worth, the father actually eventually won, became king. And in 1532, Rabelais wrote about a fart so powerful and meaty that it actually created miniature people. From Gargantua and Pantagruel, he writes, But with the fart he blew, the earth trembled for 27 miles round, and in the fetid air of it he engendered more than 53,000 little men. And my personal favourite in the famous fighters of history is Roland the Farter, who was a medieval flautist whose jumps and farts in the court of King Henry II led to a grant of a whole manor and 30 acres of land. I mean... But not everything in the world can fart to avoid a mortgage. So things that can't fart, birds. I've had quite a lot of pushback on this one because A, um, a lot of parrot owners claim that they're bird farts. Danny Rabiotti is a zoologist and author of several popular science books, including Does It Fart? This is the time you need in your life if you have questions about gas and animals. But... Parrots are really good mimics, as we all know. So actually often the parrot's just making a farting noise with its mouth. Now, we know parrots can be absolute amazing mimics, but this is something I have to see. Okay. So we've got a cockatoo in a room looking directly at camera and making a fart sound. Oh, it's a good one. And then running away across the table really quickly. Okay, I can see why you'd think that this cockatoo was making a fart with its butt, 
But that's because it doesn't have obvious lips to purse as if it's making a raspberry sound with its mouth like a human would. And then also, actually, since I wrote the book, I did find out that sometimes birds can get an infection that causes them to fart. But that's a bit of a downer, like, oh, they fart if they're sick. So So there was a few people saying their chicken farted, but actually that the animal wasn't very well in the first place. So that is a bit depressing. But why is it that our healthy avian friends do not fart? They have really quick digestion. Birds have really quick digestion. They don't want to be carrying around bits of food. So the food passes through really quickly um, and they don't have gut flora that really produces a lot of gas, which is why they they don't tend to fart. But um, we haven't tested every single bird. There might be some out there, you know, like penguins or uh, one candidate is the huatzin, which eats leaves and, and ferments them in its gut. So, so some birds might fart. We just don't know. The Hudson is worth knowing about. It looks like, you know when artists do an impression of what they think a dinosaur with feathers would look like? It looks just like that. Bonkers. Pheasant-sized, it's got a crest, it's got crazy blue skin on its face, and it's called the stink bird because the contents of its guts stink to high heaven. It's a good candidate for a farting bird, if indeed there is one. And also, it sounds a little bit like it really needs to fart. Or like it's got a furball. I'm not implying here that bird digestion is simple. In fact, there are some amazingly complex adaptations. Uh, hello, uh, my name's Dave Watson. It's just that farting isn't one of them, as far as we know. I'm Professor of Ecology at Charles Sturt University. And Dave does know a thing or two about mistletoe birds. It's tragic. I've got extensive files. So I've studied mistletoe birds. I've dissected them. I've measured all the bits and pieces. From an ecological point of view, we've radio tracked these birds. We've looked at how far they go. They're sort of dim sim shaped and sized. The males are bright red on the chest. Uh, The females are much more subtle and and grey. They're not that remarkable to look at. Ouch, Dave. But what's fascinating is what's happening uh, behind the scenes, if you like, on the inside. Uh, So they are mistletoe specialists. So they only eat the fruit of these weird plants, these parasitic plants called mistletoes. And they're very good at finding them. They'll zip around all over Australia and eat the fruit. They sort of squeeze it like you might squeeze an avocado at the supermarket just to check if it's ripe. And for every one they eat, they squeeze a few more. It's like, oh, not quite right. No, no, next one. Uh, Yes, perfect. Pops it, pops off the little cap. Fruit goes in, and then you can set the stopwatch. 14 minutes later, little uh, little seed out the other end. So they've got a ridiculously fast, what's called a gut passage rate, so how quickly things go through them. And it's for a few reasons. That Because all they eat is fruit, and the fruit, it's kind of a skinny uh, layer of fruit around quite a large seed. So And they, they extract no nutrition from that seed at all. So they want to get that seed stripped away of all the good stuff around it and then right out the back door ready for more action so they don't fool around. 14 minutes from gob to blob. That is quick. It's right up there. Most uh, birds of that size, their gut passage rate would be half an hour uh, for a fruit eater or several hours for something that, that has a more complex diet that needs to grind it up. These fruits require very little processing so it literally is in and out. It's just a straight shot. They just go down a tube and really it doesn't enter the stomach at all. It basically bypasses the stomach. So there's no sphincter here. Birds don't really have that uh, that sphincter at the top. They do have a sphincter at the, at, at the bottom, the pyloric sphincter, to stop 
food coming back up from the small intestine back into the stomach. But mistletoe birds don't have that. It's just, it's like a sock. It's like a sock with the toe cut off and stuff just quietly works its way through it. Well, not quietly, rapidly. And then they're onto the next fruit. When it does come out, how, how does it come out? A string of pearls. A string of pearls is how I'd describe it to the to the untrained eye. They typically poo in threes and fours. So these seeds, just to, so you've got the right mental image, mistletoe seeds are about the size of oh, a lentil, a big lentil, a small sultana, if you like. And they come out very sticky still in threes and fours. And often they're sort of glued together in a bit of a thread. They can adhere to the feathers around the bird's bum. Uh, so quite often they'll peck away at it or they'll wipe quite vigorously uh, onto whatever they're perched on. And as soon as a seed, you know, takes hold on the on the substrate, it just sort of reefs out the rest of them. So it, it's quite a process. Oh, a string of pearls. Such a lovely description for bird shit. And also, never looking at a lentil the same again, Dave. There you go. <laughs> and look, all fruit, all day, and a 14-minute time limit to get through the digestive system. What is their demeanour like? Uh, they get a bit jittery when they're about to poo. Me too. They, and they poo a lot. Uh, they get a bit jumpy. They sort of, oh, they like, oh, how would you describe it? They're just sort of bopping about on their perch. And then they pause and out it comes. Uh, shuffle, shuffle, peck, peck. And then typically they vacate the scene of the crime and head off presumably to get more tasty, tasty fruit. But the question on everyone's face sphincters is, have you heard them fart? Have I ever heard a mistletoe bird fart? No. No, um, I've seen many mistletoe birds uh, defecate in yeah, many occasions, many different contexts, uh, in the hand. But no, I've never heard or seen a mistletoe bird fart. Birds generally, I don't think birds really do fart, but we've got muscovy ducks and they've got quite a high throughput. They eat a lot of grass, they defecate a lot, and it comes out in various consistencies and numerous occasions. I think yesterday I was just walking across the lawn and one of the ducks let loose and it comes out with a like a real, uh, it's it's not quiet. Um, I don't know if that's a fart or if that's just, you know, the spontaneous, uh, yeah. There is actually a serious danger in farts, right? I mean, I'm sure that if I have a look in the ABC archives, yep, it's full of stories about methane and cow farts. Researchers from the CSIRO say they've discovered exactly how much cattle contribute to the nation's greenhouse gas emissions. Grazing and we shoot laser beam uh, across the animals and every time the laser beam hits a methane molecule... Australia will soon begin a trial feeding Tasmanian dairy cows the native plant that has been proven by the CSIRO to drastically reduce methane emissions This microbial digestive process also produces the greenhouse gas methane as a by-product. Methane is a potent, if short-lived, greenhouse gas. It's given a global warming potential rating of 25 times that of carbon dioxide. Methane is profoundly bad greenhouse gas, so it's much more potent than carbon dioxide. Dr Adam Munn is a wildlife biologist. As you'll know from however many years of people talking about it, greenhouse gases are bad for our environment and lead to a general increase in temperature, which we're starting to see. 
as well as seeing the carbon dioxide levels go up, we are also seeing methane levels go up from wildlife, but more importantly from agriculture and, and also uh, things like melting of permafrost in the Arctic and things like that. And methane, because it is more potent than carbon dioxide, uh, it, it creates more of a problem and we need to be able to manage that if we're going to get greenhouse gases and their equivalents under control. And myth-busting moment, it's not cow farts that are the worry, it's the burps. They're four gut fermenters, so a lot of the gases are happening up front instead of down back. Now, the cow gas problem has been flagged for ages, but what about other animals and gas, like kangaroos? Yeah, I think it's it's become this thing that even, uh, you know, I watch TV and it, it's different shows and it kind of drives me up the wall because it's still this myth that kangaroos don't fart. <laughs> it was even on Stephen Fry's QI one episode and I was like, oh, I'm going to write a letter. I need to <laughs> um, <laughs> it's this notion that kangaroos don't fart. And I can tell you, you know, having worked with kangaroos for many years, they most certainly do fart. I even had a pouch young that I was rearing once and hand rearing one and Fecal pellets are like little balls. And this young decided that, you know, it was enjoying a bottle. And as babies do, it also farted at the same time. And it shot a little cannonball. I swear, it clear shot about 15 feet. So they definitely do fart. And more importantly, the fart does contain methane. That's the other argument that people or belief that some people have is that kangaroos don't produce any methane. And I'm here to say, yes, they do. It's just not very much. And it's different in cattle and sheep compared with kangaroos. Now, what is more absurd than talking about kangaroo and cow burps and farts? Measuring them is. Think about it. How are you going to measure a kangaroo's fart output? Well, we didn't strictly measure the number of farts. We measured the whole animal within a, a specialised chamber. And these are uh, habituator animals that are trained to sit in a, a special chamber and they get their food and they can lay down and stand up and they can do all the normal behaviours. And then in that system, we push in air uh, and then we extract the air at the other end. And you can get a real-time monitoring of how much carbon dioxide they are producing, how much oxygen they're using, and also how much methane they're producing. So what did you find? What were the levels of gases that these kangaroos were putting out? One of the, the interesting things that we found is that even if your food intake level changes, the methane output from the kangaroos was relatively constant. <laughs> and it matches that that is seen in, in other non-ruminant foregut fermenting animals and more importantly also in the hindgut fermenting animals that they do all their fermentation in the colon and the back end of the body. Hindgut fermenters are us. We are. Think colons instead of rumens. So I want to say the same as a horse, but then people think, oh, a horse is huge, but it's not. They don't produce the same amount as, as the same size horse. You don't have kangaroo-sized horses, although that, they used to, and that would have been really cool. Um, <laughs> but they, they produce uh, per unit of body mass about the same as, as something like a horse in terms of the amount of methane that they're producing. So it's definitely not zero, but it is a lot less than a ruminant. And where this kangaroo fart measurement experiment intersects with the ozone layer is the idea that inoculating cow guts with different bacteria might make cows produce less methane. You know, sort of like bovine yakult. 
now. I think there's still researchers which are keen to find ways of looking at the bacteria in marsupials and other native animals, I think, and, and trying to determine if there's a, a way of manipulating the bacteria in ruminants to be less methane producing. And for my mind, it's like that sort of seems backwards. Why don't you just go straight to the source then and, and start just using kangaroos more as a red meat base? That has other issues as well. And I mean, in the end, blaming the hole in the ozone layer or climate change on kangaroo farts alone is really absurd. But as far as farts go, there are definitely other organisms that have looser grasps of gas. Do you think that it would be a marine mammal that had the smelliest fart? Oh, 100%. 100%. Everyone I asked that had, like, been a zookeeper particularly was like, sea lions have the worst. They have the worst farts. And I think that's just because they eat fish. That also produces a lot of sulphur. And then they just have... I've, I have smelled a seal fart and it's just the most rancid fishy smell. It's horrendous. <laughs> oh, my God. Lots of people say they're horrible animals, they're smelly, and uh, I think they're bloody lovely. Nick Gales is horrendously important. He's ex-director of Australia's Antarctic Division, but he's also someone who spent a lot of time smelling Antarctic sort of farts. I adore them and I spend a lot of my time working with them. Yes, like most mammals that eat especially a meaty diet, in their case fishy diet and squiddy diet, their uh, output is not very nice to smell, but they manage to keep themselves relatively clean. They, uh, you know, animals learn not to get covered in poo unless you're an elephant seal and then you wallow in it, but uh, they're an exception. Sick burn to any elephant seals listening, though. So most of them are, are not so bad, but... To the uninitiated, to those that haven't learnt to love sea lions and fur seals, I have heard some complain that they are the most noxious animal they've encountered. Was well, that some sort of training you had to do at the Antarctic Division? <laughs> I, th I think it's a desensitisation over the decades. <laughs> OK, jokes aside... This has truly been a brain-blasting experience, learning more about farts and gases, because within this apparently infantile topic is a plethora of lessons about biology and the natural world. Despite having studied zoology for, for years, that I was surprised by the range of things that animals used farts for. Danny Rabiotti. Um, they used them in communication, they used them for buoyancy, it's really quite impressive how many useful things farts have kind of been evolved to, to do rather than just getting rid of the gas. You know, some animals are using that to help them survive, really. This, you know, it is a sort of side project for you, but what has it taught you, apart from all of these like amazing sort of facts that you can reel off, what's it taught you about the world? And our, and our animals. There's kind of two sides to that question. The first thing is, it's taught me a lot about the scientific community and how willing people are to come together over a fun project and collaborate from all over the world. So my co-author, Nick Caruso, on the book, he also co-started the hashtag, and we've never met each other. He lives in America and I live in the UK. 
So it was incredible writing a book with someone over the other side of the sea. And then we had contributors from all over the world. So that was absolutely amazing. And I think that was a really positive reflection of all the zoologists around the world and, and how willing they were to be helpful and provide their expert opinion about something that seemed really silly. So that was great. And then with regards to the animal kingdom, I think I've just learned that even behaviors that might not seem in any way important or ecologically significant can actually be really crucial to the way that these animals function. We still have so much to learn about animal digestion and other ways that animals are using the products of digestion to go about living their lives. If you, like me, have hit your limit of being around people and need to go off and fart somewhere, do it now, because What the Duck is over for this episode. We have Does It Fart Part 1 linked in the show notes, and there's plenty of other episodes that are less gaseous. What the Duck is presented and produced by me, Anne Jones, with Patria Ladgrove. This program is made mostly on the lands of the Wadawurrung and Ghana people with farts and other sounds from all over the world. And remember, whoever smelt it, dealt it. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.